0: You're listening to Pastor Rory Rogers as he teaches through the book of Luke. If you have your Bibles with you, please turn there now. Well, in Luke chapter 18, verse 9, we're going to kind of just go back and read a section that we studied last week. Uh, In verse 9, it says, Also, he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector standing afar off Would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me. I'm a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And so... Jesus begins this, this parable that's going to kind of set a little bit of the tone, uh, for the next, for the rest of the chapter. And that there are those out there who are self-righteous or in a spiritual sense there, they think that they're so good in their works that they can be confident in themselves to get themselves to heaven that they have right standingness before the Lord because of all the great good deeds that they've done. And we see from that parable and from the whole of scripture that that's not the case. It's not by works of righteousness that gets you to heaven, but by the precious blood of Jesus that was shed on your behalf. And so as we studied it last week, we read about the Pharisee who was good and did all these great works. And then there's the tax collector who's notorious among society, this kind of being a crooked thief, jerk guy, you know, and uh, and as you read this, I know that I feel like this. I know that the disciples, as they heard this parable being taught, they felt like this. They automatically thought, oh, well, I thank God that I'm not the Pharisee. Oh, I'm so proud that I'm not all about my works. I'm not like the Pharisee. I'm the tax collector. And so then we start getting puffed up that we're the tax collector and we're not the Pharisee. And so, you catch, you know, it's a catch 22, you know, you catch it. If you don't, you catch it. If you do either, you're proud in, in, being the Pharisee or you're proud in being the tax collector. And we see that the disciples were constantly proud about who they were and that they were part of Jesus's, uh, motley little crew there that would travel around Galilee and down to Jerusalem. But notice the end of verse 14, it says, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Man, that goes against everything that the world tells you. Do you guys know that Jesus's economy is completely reversed from the world's economy? You know, the world tells you, do whatever you got to do to get to the top. Step on whoever you've got to step on to get to the top of the corporate ladder. Make fun of people so that others think that you're better than them and this and that. And it's, it's, it's a bunch of, bunch of chaff. You know, the Lord says that if you want to be great, then you need to be a servant and you need to humble yourself. And man, that is just a lesson that the Lord had to bring me through through high school, middle school and high school, man, I was selfish and man, I'd I'd look out for number one. You know, I was telling some friends the other day that, uh, you know, we had a yard and and just to make sure everything was fair, I'd divide the yard up into three sections and I would only mow my section and my other two sisters, they better do their sections This is if I have to do it, they owe me big time. You know, and I was just always looking out for myself and You know, we had our spots at the dinner table and every week we'd have to rotate seats at the dinner table and one chair set the table, one chair packed over the table, one chair washed the dishes, you know, and, oh, you know, we better, it's it's my turn to set the table. I don't want to do that. You know, it's just so selfish. Everything was self. And over the years, the Lord has just had to just teach me that Rory, if you want to be great and if you want to, you know, you got to serve. You know, you got to look out not only for your own interests, but for the interests of others. You got to esteem others as better than yourself. There's a whole lot of self there. And, and the disciples were constantly going through that as well. Just thinking themselves as better than they ought. You know, Jesus and the boys would be walking down the road and they'd be bickering and fighting and murmuring with each other. Twelve guys bickering and bickering and murmuring about each other, about who was the greatest can you imagine 12 grown men fighting about who was better than another? That's what our elders meetings are like this afternoon. You can be praying for us because no, not really. Um, <laughs> we're just always fighting about who's not better. No, I'm the worst. No, I'm the worst. And then see so when you, you get prideful in that. And, and uh, But they were constantly fighting about who was the greatest. And they were constantly like, hey, when your kingdom comes, Jesus, can I sit at your right hand in, in heaven? Because I'm the best. I'm the greatest. I'm the hardest working the disciple. I'm the Peter. My, my name is mentioned the most. And that's when Jesus got into that sermon about you want to be great. Then be a servant and esteem others as better than yourself. Quit exalting yourself because then I'm going to have to humble you. And man, just I've had to learn that lesson too. just you know there's there's days that you know as I was a high schooler I was a worship leader at the Calvary Chapel in Lakeview and and there were times where I was just kind of proud about that I'm a 16-year-old and I lead worship for our church you know and and then the lord would be like oh really and as I'm playing I break a string and the guitar goes all out of tune and every and sweat's pouring down my face and the lord's like huh, how about I humble you a little bit you know or man I'm I'm a pretty good bible teacher I start it's just the worst and you guys look at me like I don't know what that was all about, but, you know, the Lord likes to humble us when we start exalting ourselves and thinking that we're something that we're not. And so here the disciples go on into this next section in chapter 18, and we're going to see a couple more times that they, they're kind of detesting others for who they are or their status in society or their age group or or the problems that they have. And, And they're very prideful about who they are. And in verse 15, it just says, you know, then they also brought infants to Jesus that he might touch them. But when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. And so, you know, here it's a beautiful thing because it says they brought infants and that word they in the Greek is in masculine form. Speaking of the dad's bringing their children before Jesus. And don't you just love that phrase that Jesus might touch their children? I mean, this is more than just a political, you know, kiss the babies type of a thing. The dads are bringing, oh, if you could just touch my child. And just is a, a reminder to us that, you know, dads should be the ones that are training up their children, as Ephesians chapter six tells us, training up your children in the correction and admonition of the Lord. If you're not doing that as a dad or as a single mom, then, then you're missing the mark. More than making your child a great athlete or making sure that they get to every, you know, school function or dance or whatever it is, much more important is that you're training up your child, not just at church. It's not your pastor's job. It's not the youth leader's job. It's your job as mom and dad to train up your child in the way that they should go. In fact, if you'll flip back to Deuteronomy chapter six, verse four, you read in the Shema. I mean, and the Shema was like the Jews would quote it. You know, it was like quoting the law, but summing everything up within this section, like, man, if we could just quote the law, let's just quote the Shema, because it sums it all up here. You know, uh, they would say daily, they would say multiple times a day, Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echud. And that's all the Hebrew I know. It's the Shema. You learn it when you go to Israel. They make you sing it on the bus. Um, so don't worry, someday we'll all go together and I'll teach it to you. Um, but what that's saying, that crazy Hebrew statement is, Hero Israel, The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, And when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Dads, is that a description of you? Are you diligently teaching the Word of God? Steadfastly teaching the Word of God to your children do you talk about the word of the Lord when you just sit at your house or when you walk down the path, when you lie down or when you rise up? And I've just been so convicted of this lately. You know, we, we go through seasons you know, you guys go through, seasons. I go through seasons even as a pastor where, you know, before we moved over here in Corvallis, I mean, it's a time where you're like, craving God to speak to you about where you're supposed to be. Man, we were reading the Bible every day as a family, you know, we were speaking in tongues together. No, not really, but you know, we were just like praying together and just reading together and oh this is like so good. And then just you kind of go through another season where it's like, gosh, I haven't read the word to my wife for like forever and let alone, you know, oh, you know, but by the time it's time for Russell to go to bed, it's like, oh, he's just driving me crazy. Just get him in bed and some peace in the house, you know, for goodness sakes. And and just I've been going through a season like that lately. And the Lord is like, Rory you know what you're going to teach on in a couple of weeks? <laughs> you're going to be teaching on this. And you need to lead by example in the church. And so these last two weeks have just been the Lord just redigging old wells in my life that have been filled in with dirt again. And, you know, just before we go to work, when we eat breakfast, just have Russell. And we've got Russell's little children's Bible. And we read Russell his story. And we read Lindsay her story. And, hey, Lindsay, you see it in Jesus? No. Uh, <laughs> She likes the deep theological passages, you know, and then we pray together as a family. And then when we go to bed, you know, we read, we pray, we sing. And, uh, and it's just so fun, you know, when you walk down the path to just sing with your, your your son songs about Jesus. And, you know, now he's just busting out, I may never march in the infantry, you know, and it's like, wow, Roro, that's incredible that you're, you know, and we're in the shower and he's just like singing, he started singing hallelujah. I was like, where'd you learn that? I don't say that, you know, I do, but you know, it's just like, wow, our Sunday school teachers are doing a great job. You know, he's just like singing hallelujah in the shower and it's awesome. Awesome. But bring your children to Jesus constantly bring them before the, uh, before the Lord and kids let your parents bring you before Jesus. That was one of the greatest stumbling things for me as a, as a kid was, I was on fire for the Lord in high school, but when it came to having anything to do with church or Jesus with my parents, I hated it. I had so much pride. I wouldn't let my dad pray with me or, or read the word to me. I'm, I'm better than that or something. That's pride. That's chaff. Get rid of it. Let your parents be obedient to the Lord and teach you and train you up in the Lord. May our hearts always be for our children to come to Jesus. And these men had that heart and as they brought them. The disciples saw it and they rebuked them for bringing their children to Jesus. I mean, that's a strong wording, strong correction, slap on the wrist, like harsh words were being spoke through the disciples here. And, you know, back in the day, children weren't as loved as they are today, you know, back then they didn 't have after school programs and PBS specials you know and and NBC 's the more you know you know where some friend's star is saying "You need to read your book to your children once a day or something like that, and you know kids weren 't what they are to us today oh kids it 's for the children you know we need we need uh, no child left behind or whatever you know, but back then it was you know the kids were basically little bundles of maybe potential, (laughs) you know, like, well, this kid's either going to grow up and make us all proud and bring in a lot of money into the temple or he's not. And so there just wasn't this deep love for the children. You know, in this case, the disciples were like cute and everything, but here comes a guy who looks like his pocketbook is really full. You know, let's let him come and talk to Jesus and, and he can really help with us establishing the kingdom. And so, you know, it's so hand in hand, being saved and being with Jesus and loving and reaching out to kids. They're synonymous. James McDonald, a a famous Christian author, doubted a man's salvation if children weren't ever found playing around that man. You know, if little kids are afraid of you, then, you know, soften a little bit, (laughs) you know. Kick the voice up a couple notches. Hey kid, quit Hey little guy. You know? You know, kids should kids should flock to you so that you can share Jesus with them and take them to Jesus. But uh, you know, so they rebuke these these people and it's always it's funny to think about because they're you know correcting and pushing off and, and letting other people they're like you know traffic people, you know, stop little kids. Come, you know, fancy rich guy or whatever. And, and here Jesus sees this going on and he says, called him and said, let the little children come to me and do not forbid them for of such is the kingdom of God. I mean, could you imagine like, no, no, no. what's that Jesus? Oh, okay. You can come. And we're going to see that a couple times in this, you know, the disciples thought they just had the wrong perspective on things. Let the little children come to me and do not forbid them, for of such, of little kids, is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. So, you know, as you read this, the question comes up, maybe not yet in your head, but some of you may be, well, what about having children in the church services? If we're to bring our children with us, then why does Calvary Chapel make me take my kids to the children's ministry. Well, for a couple of reasons, um, as you read Nehemiah chapter eight, it's an incredible passage. Uh, you know, uh, they find, uh, or they bring out the book of the law as they're building the walls of Jerusalem and Ezra starts reading the book of the law and people start flocking around and listening. And as they're listening, they start weeping. They're cut to the heart at the message of the law and they start weeping and crying out to God and repenting of their sin. And pretty soon there were so many people that another man had to take another Bible over there and start reading over there and then another guy over there and another guy over there. And and then another guy would be with each reader and he would explain the passage and give the sense of the passage. But it says there in Nehemiah 8 that those who didn't have the sense or couldn't understand. They weren't brought. They were too young. The children weren't brought. And so a couple reasons why, you know, we have Sunday school available for the kids is because number one, a child gets nothing out of the message. If they're in here with the adults and, you know, I don't know, maybe a child would get something out of me. I'm probably more for the children than the adults, but they say, if you can teach kids, you can teach anybody. Um, what do you think, Lois? (laughs) um, you know, but you know, really, and you guys have all been there and I've been there, uh, you know, certain teachers are not for young people (laughs) and, and you're actually harming them and they're going to want to have nothing to do with the word of God. Another reason is, is they distract those around them. When I was a kid, you know, probably about sixth grade was the grade that I started being able to understand what the pastor was saying and, It was still kind of difficult, but that was about the age where I was starting to learn. But, you know, I used to bring a book from home, like, you know, and and I'd find myself halfway through the Bible study laying on the ground, you know, (laughs) pretty soon I'm like in between the chairs, the legs on the chairs, you know, and got my book up like this. I'm laying on the pew or whatever. And people are just like, what is with that kid? My mom didn't get me, let me get along away with it too much. There would always be that pinch in the side or whatever. But, um, you know, I was a distraction. And so don't get me wrong we're still to provide Jesus to the kids and we do we provide it for them at him for them in a way that they can understand and be excited about and memorize the word and and bring it out and teach it and all of a sudden Russell's singing hallelujah and and speaking verses and he's two and a half and where is he learning this stuff it's kind of a touchy subject a lot of people leave churches because the kids aren't allowed that's kind of my take on it um But then he says, assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. So there needs to be a childlike faith in each one of us. If you want to have a part of the kingdom of God, you've got to have a faith like a little kid, like a child receiving a, a gift and being excited about it and saying, I want it. When it comes to presents, children have no reserves. You know, I'm finding that about my two and a half year old boy. You know, and he loves presents. And he has this little saying he does uh, when a present comes for him, he always goes, A present for me? You know, that's like, that's his thing. He, he you know, it's going to be famous someday. It's all because of him. But, um, a present for me. That's his little, he'll be a child star someday. And that'll be his little slogan on his TV show. But, uh, but he just, and he doesn't care who's there or what the wrapping is. The dude wants the present and he is going to take it and just with reckless abandon, rip it off and, you know, try and figure out how to open it and just so excited about it. In the same way, we have a gift that's given to us a free gift of salvation And when the gift is presented to you, you have the responsibility to reach out and grab hold of it and to take it like a little child. But so often our pride, our status in the community, you know, the way we look on a Sunday morning, there's no way I'm raising my hand to receive Jesus. Or there's no way I'm standing up. There's no way I'm responding. Do you know who I am? Well, whatever you are, if it's not like a little child, then it's wrong. There's a humility about little children. They're humble. They're simple. They're innocent. Peter tells us like newborn babies were to desire the pure milk of the word. And, you know, I'm just remembering that now that we have Lainey just, you know, every, oh, it seems like she's hungry, like every 15 minutes in the middle of the night, you know, (laughs) Lindsay's just like bagged eyes. There's gotta be some way that men can feed the babies in the middle of the night. Nope. There's no way, honey. No way. Just I haven't invented it yet. No, sort. Nothing. But, uh, but you know, every 15 minutes or whatever, it's, oh, she's so hungry for milk. And we as believers, like little kids, we need to just be so hungry for the pure milk of the word that we could grow. And do you remember that that first love experience you had with Jesus? Do you remember that first day you accepted Jesus into your life and you were so excited to be in his word? You'd stay up late reading with friends and and you, you remember that first time you read Genesis and you read about Abraham and Isaac or the first time you read about the, the, the flood or the first time you read about the Exodus out of Egypt, or the first time you read about Jesus spitting in a guy's eye, you know, and you just had to have more and more and more. And it it was like that milk that you just, you know, and now it's like, well, you know, then we got cable TV and, you know, started working weekends. And, you know, of course we got that boat, you know, and we got to be out on that a lot, you know, it's like, dude, Jesus says, come back to me. Remember from where you've fallen. Remember your first love, he says to the church in Ephesus, whose name means darling. Jesus is crying out today. Come back, darling. Be like that little baby once again who just desires drinking the milk and eating the word. Ephesians tells us, chapter 5, verse 1, that we're to be imitators of God like dear little children. You know, and just how Russell's in that stage now that he can kind of talk a little bit more that he, he talks like me and he walks like me and he has to, you know, just today he was wearing cowboy boots and he wanted to wear his jeans tucked inside his cowboy boots to church. And Lindsay's like, no, daddy wears them on the outside of his boots. And he had to come in here and I had to prove to him that my jeans were on the outside of my boots. You know, he's, he has to imitate me in everything. I, in my garage, I have a mountain bike and it, it's just doesn't have a kickstand. So I just lean it up against a box And Russell rides in, in his three wheel, big wheels, you know, pulls up right next to my bike and picks it up and tilts it. And it leans up against my bike. It has to lean, you know, I have local flip-flops and I take them off just this last week, took them off in the living room. And Russell has little local flip-flops that big. And he puts them inside mine, you know, has to have them in the exact spot, you know, like dear little children imitating his dad. We're to just be humble and imitate our Lord. Just everything that he does, we want to do. I want to be like him. I've already, I've received the ch- the kingdom like a little child, and now I just want to be like Jesus, like a little child would imitate him. Receive him now. You know, act like a little child and receive that gift. Tear it apart. Enjoy it. There's a poll taken of Christians that nineteen out of twenty people came to Jesus before the age of 25. And then one out of 10,000 people came to Jesus at the age of 25. One out of 50,000 people uh, between that age of 35. One out of 200,000 at age 45, one out of 300,000 at age 55, and one out of 700,000 by the age of 75. The moral of the story is the longer you wait to receive that gift, the harder it's going to be. You know, as a child, you're just like, you're there in Sunday school and the teacher said, Jesus loved me. This I know. He died for you on the cross. It's very simple. It's like, oh, great. That's all I need. You know, as a little kid, that's all I need. I'll go from here. But as an adult, my intellect it's getting in the way, you know. It's whoa. Just receive like a little child, receive by faith. You know, if we don't reach our children while they're young and soft, the chances of them coming to Jesus at a latter age are less and less. And that's why the author of Hebrews says, Today, while it's still called today, if you will hear my voice, do not harden your heart as in the rebellion. If you can't receive, if you can't humble yourself today, then the next time Jesus is presented to you, it's going to get harder. It's going to get easier to say no. It's going to be harder to say yes. And a little layer of callus goes over your heart. then the next time, please, is there anybody here that'll accept Jesus and, you know, be saved from their sins? Nope. Just today's not the day. Today's not the right day. I'm not in the mood. Another layer of hardness, you know, then the next time, then the next time, the next time, pretty soon you're like walking around knocking people over with your big old calloused heart. You know, it's like, what's wrong with you? Didn't you ever accept Jesus? Nope. I'm a hard hearted man today. If you hear the plea to come to Jesus, just be like a little kid. They don't care what people think about him. They got snot running down their nose. They'll walk out of the bathroom. They have their, they forgot their pants in there. You know, Russell does that. We got people visiting. He's like, what's up? I'm like, okay. You know, cover that little guy up. But they they just don't care. Yeah, Rory, I want Jesus. I don't care. I I don't want to go to hell. Man, won't that be sad when people go to hell and they're like, dang, I was sure worried about what I looked like that day. Man, bummer. Receive him today like a little child, so excited for a gift. Verse 18, now a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit uh, eternal life? Uh, Mark's gospel tells us that this man ran up to Jesus and fell on his feet before him. Matthew's gospel tells us that this guy was a rich, young ruler. He's rich, he's young, and he's got authority. Uh, He's been called the quintessential yuppie. You know, he's just this yuppie that just runs up, falls down at the feet of Jesus and says, What do I need to do to be saved? It's a very promising looking situation here. Wouldn't you say if you're out on world missions, this is what you, this is like, this is what it's made of. Whoa, really? (laughs) Well, let me tell you. So everyone's really excited. Something's going to happen. Verse 19. So Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good, but one, and that is God. And so Jesus asked this young man a question. to to try and get him to examine himself. He often did this, and rabbis would do this. They ask him, answer the question with a question. Why are you calling me good? There's only one good, and you know that. You're a Jewish boy. You know there's only one good. And so what he's saying is, if if there's only one good, and God is the only one that's good, and you're calling me good, then you're calling me... God. God, right, thank you. You're calling me God. Jesus was telling this guy, you're not just talking to some rabbi here, but you are talking to God. And so any superficial little thing that you want to tell me, I'm going to see right through. And and so he says, you know, why do you call me good? No one's good but one, and that is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness honor your father and mother. Mark's gospel throws in there, do not defraud your brother. And so, you know, Jesus basically answered the guy, Matthew's gospel, Jesus answers, hey, keep the commandments. And then the boy says, which ones? And here Jesus lists off the five and and Mark's gospel adds another one. the six last commandments that deal with our relationship with one another as people. Do you know that? There's 10 commandments, four of them, Di- are vertical relational things with God. Don't have any other gods before me. Don't make any graven images. Um, keep the Sabbath holy. And yeah, don't ever quiz me on that flunked out of Bible college. What are you, what are you asking for? Um, <laughs> in my world, there's only four commandments, but anyways, just kidding. Uh, so then he gives to this guy, he gives this guy, Hey, those six commandments, Have you been keeping them? Those ones that deal with your father and mother, your neighbor, not committing adultery, not stealing, all of those things. And he says to him, verse 21, all of these things I have kept from my youth. You got to, you got to take this guy at his word here. He's kept all these things externally, externally externally, he's kept him. I haven't committed adultery and I haven't murdered anybody. And you guys remember that Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount brought this down to a whole new level because all of us would say, I'm a pretty good person. I've never murdered anybody. I've never committed adultery. I've never lied. Well, you know, I'm lying right now about that, but you know, Jesus brought it to a whole new level about the heart. If you're lusting after a woman in your heart, you've already committed adultery. If you've hated someone in your heart, then you've murdered them. And James tells us, if you've kept all the law, but broken one of those things, and really the law had, you know, like 320 commandments, then you've broken all, you break one little law, you've broken them all. You're guilty. You're worthy of death. He kept all of these things externally. And Mark's gospel tells us that when this guy said this, Jesus looked at him and loved him. He looked at this guy. I mean, this guy... He's been living a holy life. He desires a relationship with the Lord. You know, it's really a neat thing. And Jesus says, yeah, you've done pretty good. I love you for that. But then he says, verse 22, And Jesus heard these things, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me so this guy was doing great on those lower six uh, commandments d- towards men he was doing great but the top four dealing with the lord he was failing on and if you were just to quote the shema love the lord your god with all your heart soul mind and strength this guy was bombing out in that area why because he had money in his life that was taking his worship that was taking his energies this money was causing him to not follow after jesus wholeheartedly with reckless abandon it was causing him to not receive the gift like a little child would receive the gift a little child doesn't care and goes after it but money causes you to stop and to think and go well, what am i going to do with my money <laughs> you know I've been using my money to to pleasure myself in these ways and I know I'm not going to be able to do that anymore if I have to give it all away and come follow Jesus. Jesus is telling this guy that his perfection isn't found in keeping the law, but rather it's found in giving up the world and following Jesus with everything you have. And we studied all of that last week. And so when he heard this, verse 23, he became very sorrowful for he was very rich. This young man, just so sorrowful, really sad that that was what he had to do because he was rich. Now, he didn't have to become very sad here. He could have become very glad and inherited eternal life. And to give up these things and to have Jesus is the greatest joy that anybody could ever experience in their whole life. But the one meant that the Lord gave him mattered more to him than all of eternity in heaven. You might be asking yourself, so is the Lord asking this of me today? Do I need to go and empty out my bank account and give it to the church? Yes. No, not really. No. No, no. Okay. Um, It's hard to trick the Lord from the pulpit. No, Um, no, don't do that. You know, the Lord doesn't require that every single one of us be St. Francis of Assisi, you know, and go and join a monastery somewhere and and that type of of a thing. But what he does ask us to do is to surrender to him unconditionally in our hearts and in our lives. What he does ask us to do is to not love the world, but to love him. For you, it might be money like this. You know, Paul tells us that the love of money is the root of all evil. Not loving, not having money, but loving money is the root of evil. And perhaps for you, you love money money there's this great show on on abc called the shark tank and there's like five billionaires that peop, entrepreneurs come to to get loans from and these billionaires just stick it to them you know but they've got so much money and they just talk about i love my money and i let my money work for me and money 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 the song is money 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 that's what I'm, okay anyways uh you know maybe for you you're like that you know you get dollar bill ching chings in your you know in your eyes at times that's that's your god But maybe for you, it's your girlfriend or your boyfriend or your hobby. You know, it's crazy to come over from Corvallis and just see how hunting is like, you know, our hunting, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. It's like a total God, you know, or maybe riding your dirt bike or, you know, um, playing with your dolls or whatever it is, you know, that's your God. I know children went away, so... But yeah, if that's an issue for you, we really need to pray today. Um, Whatever it is, if it's causing you to not wholeheartedly follow after Jesus, then it needs to be dealt with. And what is that thing? Are you willing to part with it? Are you willing to take up your cross and follow Jesus? What does that mean? Take up my cross. What are you talking about? Well, you know, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10, he shows us in verse 38, the true cost of discipleship. And that is all or nothing. It's all or nothing. And he says there in in Matthew chapter 10, he who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Well, still, what does that mean? What do I need to do? Do I need to be like that dude that wore the neon green shirt and walked all across Oregon with that cross with the wheel on the back? You know, nobody saw him? Okay. Um, He did. It was awesome. I think he really was taking this verse literally. Well, Paul tells us in Galatians chapter two, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. Do you know that Paul had a different name before he was crucified with Christ? It was Saul. Saul had been crucified with Christ and yet Paul lived and the life that he now lived, well, Christ was living it in him and he lived it by faith in the son of God who loved him and gave himself for him. No longer was it Saul living. It's Paul living. No longer is it Rory living, but it's Jesus living through Rory. I need to get a new name now that I'm saved. Um, Corey. No, I don't know. Um, you just have to change the first letter to keep it from getting confusing. You know, are you willing to do that? Are you willing to have your old man nailed to the cross and be dead and no more? With all of the passions and with all of the lusts, you know, or, or is there still something in you that you still hold on to yourself? You know, it seemed that this man, this rich young ruler was going to be willing, he was willing to do anything for salvation. Didn't it seem like that at the beginning of the section? Wow, we got our first convert on the missions trip. You know, this is awesome. But then when you tell them the truth that following Jesus is all or nothing, it kind of, it's kind of a joy kill. (laughs) You know, oh, really? No, oh, really? We get to have God living in us, using us. We get to follow and we get to serve him. Paul said that he died daily and are you willing to die daily now we don't know you know as we study the end of this section we don't know if this man ever came to Christ there's a tradition out there and you can take it for what it's worth but there's a, a story out there that, that, that this man was a young Saul of Tarsus it was Saul before he was Paul and and why would i say that well because Paul, when he was Saul, was also a rich young ruler. And as he gives his testimony in Philippians chapter three, you see some similar things. If this wasn't Saul, it was Saul's best friend. You know, if it wasn't Saul, it was a guy who was exactly like Saul. And if you flip over there to Philippians chapter three, verse four, you remember that that quintessential yuppie had such confidence in his flesh Well, Paul's going to talk about how he had such confidence in his flesh and his works that he did. He says, though, I also might have confidence in my flesh. If anyone thinks he's got confidence in the flesh, i more so I was circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews concerning the law. I was a Pharisee. My job was to keep the law. Concerning zeal, I was so zealous. I was persecuting the church and dragging men and women and children off to prison just for loving that Jesus guy. Concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless, just like that rich young ruler. But then listen to this. But what things were gained to me, I've counted as loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. Paul says, all of those things that I had as that yuppie that I was, it's like a pile of dung is the language there. It's like a pile, it's a dung heap. And and he says, I've counted the loss of all things. Paul's even going to give up his life and he's going to be beheaded for Jesus. His own life was like rubbish was like garbage and it's a beautiful transition there I sure hope that that was the the rich young ruler I hope it was Saul and we'll see someday but it's sad when they choose the world over Jesus because he stood up and he went his way and could you imagine the scene there the guy comes running and falls down at the feet of Jesus says I'll do anything what do I need to do Well, get rid of of your riches and sell it, give it to the poor and come follow me. And you can just imagine as he was crying and and so excited to do whatever he had to do that the tears dried up and he just kind of stood up in front of Jesus and uh, turned around and walked away. And now it was Jesus who is sad. It says there in 24, when Jesus saw that he became that, he became very sorrowful. This is the guy that when he looked at him, he loved him. And the guy just chose the world over him. And he said, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. You know, the Jews believed that wealth was a sign of righteousness. But Jesus says that riches aren't a sign of spirituality, but often there's something that just gets in the way. In fact, uh, in the parable of the sower and the seed, uh, there's, you know, the sower throws out a seed and it's like, it's the word of God. It's the gospel. And that seed can land on different kinds of soil or hearts. And I always pray that the Lord will cultivate hearts on a Sunday morning and make it freshly tilled, plowed, fresh, fertile soil. I'm a farm kid. Sorry. You know, there's nothing like it, that dirt, you know, and (laughs) And I just pray that the seed will fall in and a little dirt will cover it in the water and, the, and it'll just like beep, start growing. But Jesus said that's not always the case. So often uh, it'll either just land on hard ground and burn up and dry away. But one of the soils that the seed can land on is thorny ground. And the thorns and the weeds can come and it says they choke out that seed. And as Jesus gives the interpretation of that parable, he says that the, the thorns are the cares of this world. And the love of money. So quickly we get saved. Yes, Jesus, I'm going to do everything to follow you. I was a youth pastor, man. I've been at those camps where like a hundred kids are like, I'm getting saved. I'm going to follow you. Two weeks later, you don't even know where they are. Do they live in Oregon anymore or what? And you just find out the sea just didn't land in good soil. And so, man, today, if you hear his voice, Get out your spiritual weed eater and clean up the ground around you. Don't let the the love of money and the cares of this world choke out what God wants to do in your life because he wants to move radically in you. He wants to use you. He wants you to be a servant of his. He wants you to be a missionary. He wants you to be, you know, world missions and local missions. But if that thorn comes out and chokes it out, it's, it's grievous and Jesus is saddened by that. And in verse 26 and those who heard it said, "Ah, oh, who then can be saved? Who doesn't want to be rich?" is the question. I'm going to I'm going to ask you to not raise your hand. Let's pray invisible hand raising time. Who doesn't want to be rich? Okay, now who wants to be rich? That's what I thought, you know. Everybody wants to have a little cash. You know what I'm saying? But the cash, the love of it will choke out that seed. So who can be saved? Everybody wants to be rich. And then in verse 27, but he said, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. I love that. You know, uh, you know, Jesus says it's, it's easier for the camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get saved. Well, then who can be saved? With man, nobody would be able to get saved because everybody wants money. But with God, I love verse 27 because it's a, but God statement without the Lord, we would be up a crick without a paddle and flip as we're closing today. Flip to Ephesians chapter two, verse one, Ephesians, let's hear some Bible pages flipping. get there. Ephesians chapter two, verse one, it says, and you, he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. And once you, with once you walked according to the course of this world and according to the prince and power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among wh- uh, whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as others. And so I I love this section. We're going to just keep reading in Ephesians for a second. But it's like, have you ever been into a a jewelry shop, you know, and behind the jewels is always a black backdrop? You know, that's what Paul's doing here. In in verses 1 through 3, he just lays out that we were dead in our sins. And that's what the gospel is. It's laying out the truth that you are a sinner And your sin separates you from God and you are an enemy of God right now. That's dark news. But the good news, the precious gem of the gospel, when put in front of that black backdrop, makes that gem shine all the more. But God, verse four, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive. You can just hear that diamond sparkle or see it, whatever. Um, And he, by grace, you've been saved. And he raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Jesus Christ that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Man, the diamond of the gospel is so beautiful, and that we were all helpless. We were all hopeless, but he came and he died for us that he could save us and not just save us. But did you catch that section there in Ephesians? He's giving us riches. You love riches. Well, there's spiritual riches in the heavenlies. And you're going to get to see those one day. It's a reward for those who follow him. We're closing here. Verse 28. We'll just kind of read these last couple of verses. Then Peter said, see, we've left all and followed you. So he said to him, assuredly, I say to you, and actually how Peter worded it, Matthew's gospel adds little, see, we've left all and followed you. Therefore, what shall we have? And so incredible when you read second Peter, by the end of Peter's life, it's not what do we get out of this deal? It's what more can we give? I just can't give enough to you, Lord. And Jesus says, assuredly, I say to you, verse 29, there is no one who has left house or parents, or brothers, or wife, or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who shall not receive many times more in this present time and in the age to come eternal life. So, man, when you give it all up to follow Jesus, like the rich young ruler, if he would have just given up what the Lord wanted him to give up, he would have found that there was a hundredfold more blessing in Christ What's the Lord asking you to give up? Is he calling you somewhere to be a missionary for him and you're going to have to leave your family or you're going to have to sell this or sell that to give to that or whatever it might be. As you're obedient, there is such tremendous blessing. As I moved away from my mom this last, well, that sounds bad. (laughs) You guys don't know what it's like to move away from your mom. Um, You know, we we lived in Corvallis. My mother was near. Yeah, that's probably worded a little better. You know, you leave her, it's sad, and she's sad, and, and you know, but we've found a family here. Like really, truly an awesome, incredible family here. Hundredfold what we've had. Then it says you'll you'll receive that more. Now Mark's gospel adds a little bit to that. It's not all uh, you know, Peaches and cream, you know. You get the hundredfold families and loved ones and friends, but Mark's gospel adds with persecutions that comes to as you forsake all and follow after jesus yeah there's tremendous blessing tremendous reward but there's also tri- persecutions and trials and hardship and so we'll go ahead and close there this morning and i always want to get through a chapter but i think that's where the lord has us and and we'll go ahead and have Stuart come on up and the worship band you can put your bible down as we close this morning. Lord, I pray just right now in this room, just your Holy Spirit would do an incredible work of softening our hearts, Lord, cultivating the soil in our hearts. And Lord, that you would make us like little children this morning, that we would be humble And that we would respond to your word with humility. And Lord, I just ask right now that if there's anyone in this room who who needs to be saved this morning, who needs to be saved from themselves and taken out of just their sins and have their sins washed as white as snow and forgotten by you. Lord, if there's anyone here today that you're, presenting the glorious gem of the gospel to lord right now as they're dead in their sins and they're at war with you lord that today they would see how deep your love is that you would leave your throne in heaven and set aside the privileges of deity and become a man and suffer as men suffer and die, not just any death, but the death on the cross. Lord, we pray today for humble hearts that would reach out and grab hold of that gift with reckless abandon. Lord, do a work of your spirit. Lord, I could plead until I'm blue in the face, but Lord, would you just show them their need for you? And I just want to ask you right now I'm going to give you an opportunity if that's you and you've never received Jesus Christ into your life as your Lord your Master your everything if you've never turned from your sins and allowed Jesus to wash you of your sins and clothe you in robes of righteousness just today I'm going to ask you to just be humble be real and just lift your hand up and say Rory that's me will you pray for me I want to be saved I want to receive that gift of salvation I need a new heart I need a new life pray for me Rory is there anybody here that's you Maybe you come to Jesus today and when you walked in the doors, it's exciting to come to church and to see Jesus. But today he's asking you to get to get rid of yourself. Man, I plead with you today. That you'll die today and you'll let Jesus live in you. Is there anybody at all just respond to God this morning like a little child and just say, that's me, Rory. I want to be made new in Jesus. Maybe you're a Christian here today and just the Lord has been showing you that hobby or that person or that possession or those riches or that pastime or whatever it might be that you just sense he's asking you to give it up today. Maybe today you just want to, just as we sing, you just want to respond by standing and saying, Lord, I recognize that in my life. And I just pray that you would give me the strength to turn from it, to break up with him or her or to break off those friendships that are causing me to stumble in my relationship with you. Man, I just, my my nightmare is that uh, we just would leave this place and not be changed by him. And man, let's just allow him to change us. Maybe even if you you just, you're one that the call is out today for salvation and God wants to save you. Maybe you're just to stand too as we sing this last song. You've been listening to Pastor Rory Rogers, pastor of Calvary Chapel of Crook County in Prineville, Oregon. For more information on Calvary Chapel of Crook County or to contribute to this ministry, check out our website at www.calvarycrookcounty.com or you may write to us at P.O. Box 378, Prineville, Oregon, 97754. Thank you for listening and God bless.